Hello and welcome to the National Archives. This recording is of an interview with Audrey Collins, one of our family history experts. Audrey is answering questions about the census, which we hope will help you understand more about these records, which are so important to family history research. Hello, welcome to the National Archives. Uh, we're here back in the Map and Large Document Reading Room on the second floor of our building here in Kew. This is one of our public reading rooms, which anyone can visit. Uh, and we're here today to talk about the census with Audrey Collins, our family history records specialist. Um, we're going to talk about the census because it's one of the most useful family history documents and we're going to find out all about it from Audrey. So Audrey, um, let's start by explaining to anyone that doesn't already know, what, what exactly is the census? The census is the biggest survey ever. Mm -hmm. um, it would be a market researcher's dream. Mm -hmm. uh, it was taken every, every 10 years, mm -hmm. and the idea was to get information about the population as a whole, mm -hmm. and the best way to do that, to make sure that you counted everybody once and nobody twice, which mostly worked, was to just list everybody by name. Um, and although, so although it wasn't the intention, that makes it really, really useful for family historians. But the whole yeah. point of it was to get the big picture about the population and where they were and how old they were and what they did. Right. And when was this idea hatched? When was the, when was the first census? The first actual census uh, was 1801 mm -hmm. uh, throughout Great Britain. Um, and it's worth mentioning here that the records that we have are for England and Wales right. and Channel Islands and the Isle of Man and varying amounts of shipping and armed services overseas, but significantly not Scotland and not Ireland. Okay. Those records are held by their relative uh, national archives. Right. Uh, so the, the census was taken every 10 years and the first one was 1801, um, but the first one that we have here at the National Archives is 1841. And that's because that was the first year when all the records were collected centrally. Previously, the, uh, the local uh, authorities uh, who'd taken the census, they just had to send the, you know, the figures to London. Right. But in 1841, they gathered everything together so that it would be done consistently uh, and the data uh, would be extracted consistently. So that's why we've got these wonderful records every 10 years from uh, 1841 onwards. Okay. And so... How, how did it work? You know, how was the census compiled? It seems like a huge exercise, especially for that time. It certainly was. And the way it was compiled really didn't change very much um, at all mm. until comparatively recently when mm. you, know, you can just... The last census uh, in, in 2011, you could fill that in online. Right, yeah. But right up to 2001, it was much the same. An enumerator who had their, their little patch... Um, they would go around and deliver a paper to every household. Mm. And an enumerator's uh, district um, was supposed to be about the size that one man could get round in a day. Right. So in central London, that could be a, just a, a block mm. because the population was densely packed into tenements there. Yeah. And in something like the North York Moors or Mid Wales, it could be a very, very large area with not many people in it, but it just took a long time to get round. Right. And the enumerator would deliver the paper a few days before the census, which was always a Sunday night. And then a few days after that, they would go round again and collect all the completed papers. Right. And so 
the enumerator delivers the papers, so the householders fill them in, do they? That's right, they were supposed to. Now, in 1841, in the earlier census years, not everybody was literate enough to do that. Right. So, in some cases, the enumerator might have done it for them, but they just simply did not have time to do everybody. So what seemed to happen is that somebody would fill it in for them. You might have a friend or a neighbour. Yeah. Um, there's anecdotal evidence about that, but the enumerators, they had enough to do as it was just going, delivering and collecting. Right. So they wouldn't realistically have had the time to fill in people's information for them other than in a few cases. Right. And just to clarify then, so all of this was supposed to happen on a fixed day, on the same day throughout England yes, and Wales yeah. and so on. Yes, the yeah. filling in of the form bit that was the bit that was supposed to be done on the same night. It didn't always work because when you tell a few million people, if you give them the same set of instructions, um, quite a number of them will right. either not look or think they know better sure. uh, or, or just just do their own thing regardless. Yeah. So the information is supposed to be about who was under that roof or who slept in that building on census night. In practice, it doesn't always work out because some people will still put pe family members down even though they're away somewhere else. Right. Um, and they will sometimes not put somebody down because, oh, they're only here for the night. Right. They'll be listed somewhere else. Right. So let's emphasise that point because I think it's something that people have misunderstood mm. in the past that I've spoken to. The people that are recorded as, as, as existing at mm. a single address on the census and not necessarily the people that lived there. That's right. Most of the time they are, uh, right. and there's usually lots of other evidence about it. If you've got mm -hmm. the same husband and wife and children in the same house and two census years, that's a pretty good guide that they lived there. Right. But the census, was it was a snapshot in time. It was one day. Right. So if somebody, for example, was visiting and they're a relative, you can't tell just from that census whether that was somebody just stopping by on, on their way to somewhere else right. and staying with a relative or whether they lived with that family all the time. You need other evidence. So right. um, I, I always sort of um, blench a little bit when people say, oh, he was living at that address in the census. Well, probably, but you do need other information to prove that. You should never assume. Right, that's interesting. And so you've got this list of names uh, in the census. What else is recorded? What can you expect to find in these, in these census documents? Right. 1841 didn't record a lot of information. You got everybody's name and their age. And for adults, the age was rounded down to five years, although it was supposed to be. It wasn't always. Right. And you'd get an occupation and whether somebody was born in that county, which is better than nothing. It's a lot better than um, the, the minimal information that was recorded in earlier censuses, mm. which mostly doesn't survive anyway. Mm -hmm. But it's from 1851 onwards that you really get a decent amount of information. So it's quite a useful tip. If you've got somebody in 1841, it's always a good idea to try and find a family or a person in 1851 if you can, okay. because that gives you a lot, a lot more information. As well as their age and their name, you will get um, their position in the household. So mm -hmm. you've got head of household and then their relationships, so wife, son, daughter, servant, mother-in-law, etc. And then you'll get their occupation, usually in a little bit more detail, because the lines were a little bit wider to fill in on the, on the forms. Right. And then you will get an actual birthplace, which should be parish and county, okay. uh, if someone was born in England and Wales. If they were born 
beyond that, there, then you will normally just get a county or, uh, sorry, a country or foreign parts. Okay. Again, it's better than nothing. Yeah. And you get a little bit more information added to, you know, as the census years go on. But the really big difference is in 1911 when there was quite a lot more information right. uh, about the, the families. Uh, yeah. And I, I noticed you mentioned earlier um, that even ships were included. W was there anywhere that wasn't included? Prisons or, you know? Everywhere should have been included. Yeah. Um, prisons and asylums are sometimes a bit tricky because mm. in some cases the, in, the, the inmates were listed just by initials. Right. So even if you know that somebody was in a prison or in an asylum or they were not with their family and you have a very strong suspicion that that's where they were, they're not always going to be easy to find no. um, because they may not be listed by their full name. Yeah. And people on ships, did the, did the ship have to be docked at an English you know, port for it to qualify for the census? Oh, the shipping. Every census year had slightly different arrangements for shipping. Right. And the practicalities of it are that if you're on a thing that moves, right. it's just not always going to be practical for an enumerator to deliver a paper and for it to be collected. So anything to do with um, ships and, and even boats on inland waterways... Is sometimes it's a bit hit and miss. Okay. There are some very nice schedules for them, but just the, the logistics of actually getting the census done for people who are on any kind of floating vessel yeah. means that there there's a lot that are that are missing and that you won't find for a variety of reasons. Okay, and I think um, if I remember correctly, there's something significant about 1911 that makes it different to the oh, other yes. censuses. Yes. Um, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, it was taken in exactly the same way. You know, the boots on the ground, the enumerator went round, yeah. delivered, collected. Right. But the really big difference is that because of the way the statistical data was extracted, which was the object of the exercise, it wasn't just for us, the family right. historians, um, but the way they were able to do the number crunching in 1911 was very different. They mm. started using machine technology, which meant they could gather a lot more information. And the other thing was that because of the way they were doing that with the machines, they could extract the information directly from the household schedules, mm -hmm. which had always existed, and there are a few survivals for earlier years, but the enumerator would take those home and copy it up into the enumeration books, which is what we see now. Right. Um, but in 1911, they missed out that stage altogether. Right. So the, um, the punch card operators... Uh, who were young teenage girls for the most part because they were cheap and they were very efficient. Yeah. Um, they were able to do this uh, from the, the punch cards. And the cards themselves, we have a few copies in the archives, yeah. they are exactly the same size and shape as the uh, computer punch cards that I used to see in my, my very first full-time job in 1970-something. I see. Um, when I worked for a company that had a computer. Yeah. So the computer punch card is probably a lot older than you think. Right, yeah. Uh, and they, they did that directly from the household schedules, which right. is why in 1911 you will see little numbers written on there um, against the occupations and the birthplaces. And those were the codes that were put on there by experienced census clerks so that the punch card operators didn't have to read the words, they just had to look at the numbers and punch them in. Right. So, 
a lot or at least a significant number of the schedules in 1911 are in the hand of the householders. Yeah. Very often, yes. Yeah. Um, and you can usually tell if it's somebody else in the household because if their handwriting is legible, um, it, it's, you, know, you can see it's... It, sometimes it's a child. Right, right, um, right. And in earlier census years, it very often might well have been a child right. because once compulsory schooling came in, mm. 1871, you will sometimes get families where the children could read and write, but the parents couldn't necessarily. Right. Uh, so they would get, uh, not a, a small child, but possibly a teenage child yeah. or a 10-year-old to fill in the form for okay. them. Okay, interesting. And so how do people access the census? So, you know, uh, there's all this information out there. Where do people go to get this? Nowadays, you go online, right. and it's probably the most accessible record that we have. It was the very first big digitisation project that the National Archives did for the 1901 census. Right. And subsequently, all the other census years have been digitised, either from the films or, uh, in the case of 1911, direct from the originals. And the other really good thing about it being online is it's not just in one place. All the major family history sites have got the census. Right. And for the most part, they have done their own transcriptions. Okay. So if you can't find somebody in one census, yeah, uh, on one family history site, mm. it's worth trying one or more of the others. Right. Because uh, it may just be that somebody's made a different interpretation of sometimes really bad handwriting and somebody's right. guessed right. Right. Uh, so it's always worth you, you have lots of options you can try. Yeah. And it's probably worth mentioning that um, we have free access here in the reading rooms at the National Archives in Kew to all of those family history uh, websites, certainly the most significant ones. And you can sometimes visit other uh, local libraries and archives which have their own institutional subscriptions. So if you don't have your own subscription, it might well be worth trying that. Now, the most recent census available to anyone is, is 1911, right? That's right, because we have a 100-year rule on censuses. Right. Uh, so you know, every 10 years, a new one uh, has been released. Right. And so, I mean, we do get asked about more recent censuses. Are there any alternatives to the census? There is um, a thing called the 1939 Register, okay. which it looks a lot like a census, mm -hmm. uh, but there are some quite important differences. And some people do refer to it as a census. It's not. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, was, it was planned alongside what would have been the 1941 census if the mm -hmm. war hadn't broken out. Right. And, and it has um, a lot less information because it had to be done very quickly. And there's all sorts of reasons why it looks like a census, but it's not. Right. There's more information in a very detailed research guide on the 1939 register. And so, if you want to learn more, you can go to the National Archives website, where we have our research guide on the census, as well as another research guide on the 1939 register. And you can, of course, as I've mentioned, visit us here, uh, and we've always got staff on hand to help you with any of your queries, family history or otherwise. This talk is copyright to the National Archives. All rights reserved. It is available for reuse under the terms of the Open Government Licence. Visit our website to discover more talks and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram for news and updates from the National Archives.